this season on More and More Every Day. Let's do something together every day to be better oral historians. I don't know about you, but I love a daily task, whether it's a writing prompt to get me focused or a quick icebreaker to start class discussion. I love short, easy challenges. That's why this season's 10-minute or so episodes will feature experts, like-minded colleagues, resources, and things I'm learning along the way. But each episode will also end with a prompt, something you and I can do that day to improve our skills as oral historians. I'm your host, Summer Sherland. Let's do this. Several years ago, before I was a historian, I worked in university student affairs and residential life. More specifically, I was a hall director who oversaw the operations and well-being of about 500 students living on campus in the all-Greek residence hall. Those students who lived in that building were all affiliated with one of the fraternities or sororities recognized on our campus. And one of my primary responsibilities was managing the conduct, read misbehavior, that inevitably occurs over the weekend with 500 rambunctious and social college students. The staff that ran that place had the enviable task of creating incident reports for every party, fight, altercation, vandalism, or other misdeeds that take place on or around a college, residence hall, or dorm building's grounds. So each Monday, I would invariably open up my email and find several, quote, incident reports recording a variety of college kid-worthy behavior. And the department I worked for had this very specific method for titling those incident reports. I can't remember the specifics now, but basically there was a protocol for naming each document with the date, the first and last names of people involved, and all sorts of wacky punctuation and underscoring to boot. Listen, it was hard enough for me to get college students to, quote, write up their peers for things like underage drinking. Now I had to ask them to use this very specific cataloging procedure after spending hours writing reports in the middle of a weekend. It was grueling for those students. So I took it upon myself to be the official title renamer of every document that came to me. My college student staff didn't need to worry about where the underscore should go. That could be my job. They needed to focus on getting the information right. So they could title that incident report however they wanted to. And thus became one of my all-time favorite rituals during my very short time working in residence life. The staff, instead of worrying about the specifics of punctuation in the title of their incident reports, just called their documentation whatever they wanted to. I took care of changing it after the fact. Every Monday, I would wake up and peruse these incident reports cluttering my inbox. Over time, the student staff members made a game of trying to come up with the funniest, cleverest names for each report they wrote, and it ended up being really fun. I'd read the report, sometimes spell check it, and then change the inevitably hilarious title to the proper and boring first name, last name, underscore, date of incident, title required, and forward that report onto my supervisor. I learned my lesson with that. I tried to keep the part that the students needed to do fun and engaging, and I took care of some of the drudgery. And I've kept that approach in the classroom. Just like I was when I was a hall director, I don't want to burden newcomers to oral history with the boring part of naming the documents they create in any way. I don't want to have to make something as benign as period placement or underscore use part of my grading criteria. So I just take care of naming the files on my end and with my staff who are processing these materials. So it might give me an extra step. It might be kind of hard on me. But honestly, it helps the students focus on what really matters, the content. So depending on your scope, you may not have this luxury. And even if you did, you still have to determine a naming strategy for all your files additional to your interview. In a previous challenge, I had you come up with a plan. 
uh, you probably focused mostly on how to label and title and store your interviews. But what about your consent forms, transcripts, indexes, images donated by your narrator, images taken of the interview process? What about audio or video clips that you intend to use for publication or promotion? As is the case with all curation, it's best to have a system and stick to it. Here's what we're working with at the South Phoenix Oral History Project. In general, all of our supplemental materials, which is really anything that's not the interview itself, are titled this way. Last name, first initial, type of material. In some cases, date. So you might see a document that says Atwater, comma, K, period, index, period. We use periods. A lot of people use the... Um, I think it's called camel sequencing, where it's just each word is capitalized and there's no punctuation. With regard to clips, because we use clips on our website, anytime that we take a clip out of an interview and place it into a source, we include the time that it was taken from the interview. So for example, we might have Atwater comma K period two period two five period capital M mentors period. So that's essentially in Ken Atwater's interview, at 2 minutes and 25 seconds, he talks about mentors. So that's the clip, Atwater K225 mentors. What about images? For us, images go date first, then person, then location or event. 1990, period, Cardness, library, period. Or 2003, period, pack, groundbreaking, period. Because this is an audio format, you, you can't really see, so I'll give you some examples uh, in the show notes. But with regard to like the 1990 Cardness Library, 1990 period, Cardness capital C, library capital L, no punctuation between the two, and a period after library. So today's challenge is one that I'm actually going to do along with you. As always, it starts with the intention and leads to an action. You've made your plan for titling your materials and make sure you've amended your plan to include all materials beyond the interview. Will you go with dates first or first name, last name? How will you identify what kind of source it is? Do you want to identify that this is the index? This is the summary. This is the consent form. This is the future use policy. How will you use punctuation if at all? Remember to avoid errant punctuation if you can. Like underscores and periods are okay, but parentheses, symbols, and even dashes can be misinterpreted by different systems and can cause you confusion down the road. So now that you have your plan in place, I want you to revisit all your materials, and I'm going to do this too. Make sure all your materials are titled according to your plan, and if they're not, start making improvements now. Here's what I'll say. Just like those students on a late Friday night writing up their college, you know, colleagues and peers for drinking alcohol in their dorm room, these tasks are not super fun. It's why I didn't trouble my resident assistants with something like titling a document, and it's why I don't really care to enforce it in my classes. And because something like titling, sequencing, and cataloging isn't all that glamorous, believe me, we'd all rather be asking questions in an interview. It is easy to just put this to the side and think you'll come back to it later, but you won't. So do it now. You'll be glad that you did. We want to hear from you. Tell us how you did today at SMCC History. Use the hashtag more and more every day on Instagram and Twitter. Our email is historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And I hope you follow us, write a review, or suggest us to a colleague. More and More Every Day is brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project at South Mountain Community College in partnership with the Southwest Oral History Association. Music by Noah Gattel. <laughs>